morning, everyone. Last week we looked at cancel culture, and we looked at the severity of sin and how Christians are to take sin completely seriously. We looked at this idea that Christians who understand Christ's sacrifice, Christians who understand the weight and severity and seriousness of sin and its consequences, those are people who don't turn a blind eye to sin. Those are people who don't let it go by without saying something about it. Christians who understand what sin is all about are Christians who call out sin. Christians who are serious about Jesus and his death are people who go to lengths to distance themselves from sin in their own lives and in the lives of those around them. And so, when we talk about the seriousness of sin, we need to balance that with a discussion on the seriousness of mercy. So this morning we're going to talk about mercy and discuss how, just as equally as the Bible addresses how serious sin is, the Bible also addresses how serious mercy is. And if either of these topics is uncomfortable to us or less palatable than the other, it suggests that there's an imbalance in our faith. If you're more comfortable talking about sin than you are about mercy, or more comfortable talking about mercy than you are about sin, I suggest that there might be an imbalance there that um, isn't reflected in God. I thought I'd have the morning off this morning. I thought Caleb was going to preach the lesson for us when he got up behind here. He seemed pretty comfortable. But uh, anyway, we're going to have to deliver our lesson. Maybe in a couple of years' time he can, he can do it for us. So I want to tell you what mercy is all about by illustrating what mercy isn't and what mercy is. Mercy is something that is hard to define and it's better to hear stories about to get the understanding of what it is. Let me tell you the story of Carson King. This is a very intriguing story. It happened in September last year. Carson King was just a, a regular uh, Iowan man who liked his football. He went along to a football game and this is outside the stadium there and he held up a sign and the sign said this. It says, Bush light supply needs replenished. Venmo, Carson King, 25. What that means is Bush Light is a type of beer uh, in the US, and so he had run out of beer, and he thought it would be funny to hold up a sign on TV that said, I need you know, more money so that I can buy more beer. And so he put up his Venmo account. Now, Venmo is this app in the US where people can transfer money to each other. So if you put in Carson-King-25, you can send money to him. And he thought that that would be a bit of a joke. So he did that on September the 14th, and he thought, you know, he'd just have a bit of a laugh about holding up a sign, see if anyone donated a couple of dollars. By the next day, he'd raised over $1,000. So a thousand people had thought that this was a worthy... Of all the causes in the world, people thought that this was worth donating over $1,000 to. And it was at that moment that Carson thought, you know what, this is selfish if I take this money for myself and spend it on beer. So he decided to donate all of that money to the local children's hospital across the road from the football stadium. He thought there were kids who were in need. 
And when he announced this, well, people jumped on board. The, the people who didn't want to support buying beer, they thought, well, we'll support um, him helping out a children's hospital. So by the next day, September the 16th, he'd raised $5,000 in support of this children's hospital. Um, and then the next day, um, the Bush Light uh, company that makes the beer, they decided, you know what, this is a good cause, and they said, we'll match whatever donations are made to Carson King and to his fundraiser for this children's hospital, we're going to match it. And then Venmo came out and they said, we're going to do the same. So whatever amount was raised, it would be tripled, essentially, uh, by Venmo and by Bush Light. So then, a couple of days later, September the 20th, $200,000 has been raised by Carson King. Two days after that, September 22nd, he's raised $350,000. September the 24th, this is Carson King, he's in the middle. This is the governor of Iowa um, on his left-hand side. And that little document that they're holding there is a proclamation from the governor to announce September 28th is Carson King Day in dedication to this man who was raising all of this money for, for a children's hospital. By the 27th of September, they had raised $650,000 uh, and by the end of the month, they had raised a million dollars, which means in total $3 million was donated to this children's hospital when it was matched by Venmo and Bushline. Here's the problem, though. Carson King has a Twitter account, right? Guess what happens next? So one of the local newspapers, the Des Moines Register, um, and a journalist from the newspaper decides to do a piece on Carson King and decides to look into his background. Now there's a problem because he joined in 2011 and as we learnt last week, lots of people have Twitter accounts that have very offensive statements from the, when they first joined Twitter that then get brought up and uh, get shown in the light years later. So this reporter, he went digging and he dug and dug and dug and got all the way back to 2011. And he found, sure enough, Carson King had, when he was 16 years old in high school, he had made some inappropriate and offensive and blatantly racist comments. So <laughs> the reporter brought these tweets to light and told everyone in the world, this Carson King who you're supporting, just know that he's also a racist. Know also that he's got this, this background that uh, doesn't come up in the greatest light. Two tweets, that was what it took. Suddenly Bush Light, the beer that was supporting Carson King, they deleted everything about it. They completely, completely withdrew all their support from Carson King. People came out in, a, in an attempt to cancel Carson King in an attempt to cancel all of the work he was doing, uh, raising money for the children's hospital because of two small tweets that he made um, eight years previous when he was a teenage boy and had no one who was reading his tweets. So um, this was the article that was published. It was by a guy called Aaron Calvin. Meet Carson King, the Iowa legend who's raised more than one million for charity off a sign asking for beer money and then ended up raising three million. So this was the article that uh, Aaron Calvin presented. Here's the thing. So Carson, Carson King, he calls a press conference. He lets everyone know that he's changed his mind, that he's repented of, 
of these tweets that he made. But the damage is done and his reputation is tarnished because of those two small things. That's an example of cancel culture. Here's the irony. Aaron Calvin, the journalist. Now someone thought, I wonder if he's got any uh, awkward tweets in his past. And so they went looking. And guess what? Aaron Calvin had also made some inappropriate and offensive tweets back in 2011. And then the Des Moines Register, the paper that uh, Aaron Calvin worked for, he got a call in his living room and they said, we'd like to let you go because of these tweets that you made all those years ago. So Aaron Calvin is now unemployed because of those offensive tweets that he had made when he had called out someone else's offensive tweets. Brings us to our reading, doesn't it? Matthew 7 and verse 2 says, For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This is an ironic and, and humorous case where someone so keen on pointing out the sins of someone else had the same measurement levelled against them and they weren't able to stand up to the test. There's no mercy in that story. Merciless. There's no forgiveness. There is capturing someone else's wrongs. There is judgment. There is condemnation. There are consequences. And mercy is completely absent. What's mercy about? Mercy is about this. Mercy is not about pretending that sin isn't real. Mercy is not a cheap cop-out for people who don't have a moral backbone. Mercy is not undervaluing the seriousness of sin. Mercy is about being fully aware of the severity of sin, the hurt, the consequences, the pain that sin brings, yet being fully compassionate to the sinner. We often talk about the, the difference between mercy and grace. Grace being a, a gift that's freely given. Mercy being a withholding of punishment to someone who deserves it. A withholding of, of giving someone what they have deserved because of their wrong actions um, and because of their wrong behaviour. I'll illustrate mercy in three ways. The first is the story of Napoleon. I've told this before, but I think it just captures it perfectly. Napoleon had a, a man in his army, so the story goes. I've tried to verify this, but it's just a legend. Uh, there's no way of working out whether this actually happened, but it happened in my head anyway. Napoleon had this man in his army, and the man had um, betrayed his trust in some way. He'd committed some crime that was guilty of capital punishment. Napoleon was uh, about to put this man to death and this young man, his mother, came to Napoleon and said, please, please have mercy on my son. Napoleon said, no, I can't have mercy. Your son deserves death. And she said, please, please have mercy on my son. Napoleon says to the mother, your son doesn't deserve mercy. And the mother said, if he deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy. Mercy is about giving people things that they don't deserve or withholding things when they do deserve that. You think about Jesus on the cross. Turn with me to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. This is a great way to illustrate what mercy is. Luke 23 and verse 34. As he hangs there in agony, as his blood is running down his side, 
as the thorns are pressed into his skull, as the nails are ripping away at his wrists, as the scars that he bears are causing him immense pain, as he is almost suffocating through the blood collected in his lungs. Luke 23 and verse 34. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. That's mercy. Did they deserve that? Did the crowd who were calling for his death deserve this compassionate cry of Jesus? Now notice what didn't happen here. Now Jesus didn't actually forgive their sins. Their sins weren't forgiven at that point. We know that from Acts chapter 2 when their sins had to be forgiven. Jesus is not diminishing the severity of sin here. He is drawing attention. This is so serious, this sin. And yet he is erasing all bitterness, all grudges, all malice, all wrath, all anger towards these people. And they didn't deserve it one single cent. That's mercy. And just to show us that Jesus isn't an example that we can just stand back and say, well, he's too good and we could never get anywhere close to that, so it's not even worth trying. Turn to Acts chapter 7 with me. Acts chapter 7. And look at the example of his disciple, Stephen. Stephen, who was also brutally murdered. Stephen, who also did not owe it to his murderers, his persecutors, to offer them forgiveness, to offer them um, the withdrawal of a, a grudge. He said in Acts chapter 7 and verse 60, falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Imagine being in your dying moments. Imagine when the people surround you with stones, and their full intent with rage and malice in their eyes is to kill you as brutally as they can. And imagine thinking in that moment, I care about that person's soul. I care about that person and, and have compassion on them for their situation. This isn't the natural human condition, is it? Naturally, when you're hurt and when you're offended and when people cause you pain and agony, whether it's crucifixion or whether it's a cruel word, whether it's bullying in the workplace or, or something that someone does to you that just rubs you up the wrong way, the natural reaction is not to have compassion on that person. It is to feel the hurt. It is to complain about the injustice that was done. It was to focus on your own hurt to the exclusion of the other person's soul. But our God isn't like that and he calls us to a different way. Our God is a merciful God. Turn to Romans chapter 5 with me. Romans chapter 5. Verses 7 and 8. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God, but God, not man's way, but God's way, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Look also in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 4 and 5. 
Actually, verses 3, 4, and 5. It says, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God. Just like in Romans. But God. Doing things differently. Doing things not the way that man does it, but the way that God does it. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And finally, in Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. And verse 36. We'll get the context again. Verses 35 and 36. Luke 6, 35 and 36. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. To what degree of mercy should we extend to one another? Just read Luke 6, 36. Our God does not call us to imitate our culture. He calls us to rise above it. Your natural reactions when someone hurts you and insults you and damages you, causes you pain, causes you hurt. Your natural reactions are not good enough. As a Christian, you and I are called to rise above that. We are called to live like Christ, not like those in the world. So, the Bible says that mercy is not just something we practice once or twice. It is something that we practice on a daily basis. In uh, Proverbs chapter 11, Proverbs chapter 11, if you turn with me there, it gives this truth here, Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 17. And the word kind here is also the word merciful or loving. The Hebrew is, it translates all these different ways. It says in Proverbs 11:17, a man who is kind or merciful benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. Isn't that true with people who are trapped by their own grudges, trapped by their own bitterness, and they live day by day, not forgiving people around them, not showing mercy to others, not showing that basic kindness, and they're not hurting those other people anymore. They're hurting most of all themselves. Someone says forgiveness is like setting someone free from prison and then realising the person you set free was yourself. Micah 6 and verse 8, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly and to love mercy? You know, we're called not just to practice mercy, but to love doing it. To love those opportunities where people treat us poorly and we are allowed through imitating our creator to show them mercy and kindness instead of retaliating with anger. Jesus says in the Beatitudes, blessed are the merciful, why? For they shall receive mercy. How can we expect to receive mercy from God? The mercy that washes away our sins. The mercy that, that excuses us from the Sins, the hurts, the pains that we've caused, not, not only against our fellow man, but against our Creator. How can we expect to receive that and not extend that to others? 
in James chapter 2. If you turn to James chapter 2 with me. verse 13 for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy for mercy triumphs over judgment that's serious words judgment is without mercy does anyone want to stand before God and have him show no mercy to us would I like to stand before my creator with all of my sins and for him to say that question, did you show mercy to other people? For me to respond with, no, I just expected you to show it to me. It's not good enough. And I don't want anyone here to be standing before God and for this passage to be ringing true. In James chapter 3, in the, in the next chapter of James, James 3 and verse 17, he lists the wisdom from above. He says, for the wisdom from above, this is godly wisdom. This isn't the way that men do things. This isn't the way that humans are conditioned. This is God's wisdom. The wisdom from above is first pure and peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Not just a sprinkle of mercy, not just a, a small dose of mercy here and there, but full of mercy, loving mercy. That's what we're called to. There's another story. This isn't the story of Carson King. This is the story of Brant, uh, sorry, Botham Jean, or Botham Jean. You might remember this story. It came up um, two years ago in 2018 in September. Botham Jean was an African-American... Church of Christ member in Dallas, Texas. He was uh, associated with Harding University, Church of Christ affiliated university uh, that the church here has had dealings with many times. Botham Jean was an accountant. He was a song leader in his congregation. A regular person like you or I. One Thursday night he came home he was having dinner. After dinner, he got a bowl of vanilla ice cream and sat down on the couch to watch TV. Not too dissimilar to you or I. <coughs> Suddenly, in his apartment, his front door opened. A lady came in. She was a police officer, though she was off duty. Her name was Amber Geiger. She'd gotten the wrong apartment. She lived on the um, third floor and she'd accidentally come to the fourth floor. She went to open her door and saw it was already opened. She assumed that the person inside was robbing the place. She immediately withdrew her gun. She shot Botham Jean. Botham Jean, he died. He was 26 years old. It was a really tragic account. You've probably heard of it in the news. It made international headlines. He was a good Christian accountant, sitting on his couch, eating vanilla ice cream, and killed. That's about as innocent as you can get. He did precisely nothing wrong. You'd be pretty mad, wouldn't you, if you were his mother, if you were his father, or his sibling, or his aunt, uncle, 
his cousin. Especially since when it came out, Amber Geiger was not entirely innocent in the matter. In fact, when the court looked at her phone records, they found that she was having a relationship with a married man. And that afternoon, she was so distracted texting this married man in that relationship that caused her to not focus on where she was going. And because of that mistake, she ended up in his apartment. Because of that mistake, she killed him. Now, Botham's family had every single reason in the world to be upset about that. Furious at that. Angry. And in, an, in a culture, in an age, in an era where everyone wants to be upset and outraged and everyone wants to condemn and ruthlessly punish the guilty, up stepped Botham's brother Brent. He was 18 years old, a member of the church. He was asked to give his testimony in a court of law. You might have seen the video. We're going to show it now. there's someone in your life who has offended you or hurt you, show them mercy. It's not easy. It sure is powerful. He didn't wash away Amber Geigen's sin there. He gave her the best invitation to experience the mercy of God. 
Remember this. With the judgment you pronounce, you'll be judged. With the measure you use, will be measured to you. Judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. The mercy triumphs over judgment.